Mike Lesseter here from Lesseter Media and Farm Equipment and No-Till Farmer. Thanks for joining us for How We Did It, Conversations with Ag Equipment's Entrepreneurs. Today I'm with Jim Hellbush of Dualift Manufacturing and his sons Ben and David. In 1969, with Jim's wife Connie providing the wages, the newlyweds rolled the dice in a small sideline business in Columbus, Nebraska and grew it into a successful farm equipment manufacturer that has now made the transition to the third generation. My dad and I have been to their plant operations in Columbus. We've also had some fun with the dual lift crew over the years with some Wisconsin-Nebraska football game wagers. Jim has even switched out the N for that better looking W when he had to don some badger garb at a show as part of one settlement. I gotta say, looked pretty good on. In today's podcast, we carved out time to discuss their business while we were all in Texas. I'm talking to about four or five potential customers, and this guy comes up, and I turn around, he taps me on the shoulder, huge, seven foot tall Texan, big all hat, and he just kept ripping me, and you marry my one blue one with any one of those brand new red ones, and you make him do the same thing all year. And you come back here at this year, and if that wasn't the best, I'll give you your money back and you can eat the trade. And I totally forgot about this guy. <laughs> so, same story. I'm sitting around talking to a bunch of customers, and this guy taps me, and I told you, I said, oh, no. <laughs> he said, son, I'm here to say one thing and one thing only. He said, crow tastes like, and you can fill in that last yeah. four-letter word, yep. starts with an S. You know? yeah. And so he became my best advocate. That's Jim recalling a rough farm show experience that ultimately helped put their name on the farm equipment map and earned them the trust they needed when they entered into other product areas. Dualift, a manufacturer of fertilizer and trailer equipment, is a company I've watched grow over the years and enjoyed seeing the two sons develop after joining the business. I've been among a hundred or so friends at the farm equipment manufacturer's spring meeting to help Connie and Jim celebrate their wedding anniversaries over the years. And their mom and dad probably aren't privy to all the details, but I've also observed a couple of Ben and Dave's adventure-seeking moments too. You'll hear how that was part of their DNA from about the time they could walk. Before we hit the play button on my sit-down with the Hellbush Trio, a quick nod to our sponsor, Ingersoll Tillage. For more on Ingersoll, visit www.ingersolltillage.com. So here we go, the conversations with Jim, Ben, and Dave Hellbush of Duo Lift Manufacturing. I'm Mike Lesser with Farm Equipment Magazine. I'm here with our, our friends, equipment manufacturers from Nebraska, Duo Lift with the Hellbushes. I'm Jim Hellbush, uh, Duo Lift Manufacturing, Columbus, Nebraska. Ben Hellbush. David Hellbush. So tell us about what Dual Lift does. Encapsulate what your role is in this ag world. How would you describe that? We have several uh, divisions of our company. Main was agriculture. It's uh, turns and running gears for the fertilizer industry, for ammonia tanks, liquid fertilizer tanks, and some dry fertilizer equipment. And then we also manufacture head hauler trailers, fuel hauling trailers, jump in any time, machines to roll up the spent bags on the green bagging industry. We also have another part of our company where we manufacture a salt brine machine. It's called a brine maker. It takes rock salt and turns it into salt water, which is used by municipalities and state governments for anti-icing and de-icing highways. We also make trailers that deliver that uh, solution to the highways. And uh, another part of our company is that we manufacture over-the-road trailers, all the way from small 10,000-pound trailers up to 30, 40-ton 
semi-trailers and everything in between. I'd add to there that we we think of ourselves as the industry leader as far as farm equipment, uh, trailering equipment, had constant evolution inside our company. We started with fertilizer, like Jim had mentioned, with low boy trailers for anhydrous and, and liquid and tender trailers, nurse trailers, things like that. We were the ones that, that really refined that and took it from an old junky piece of farm equipment to something better, something that's high quality, something that lasts. We positioned ourselves as as the high quality, the gold standard in, in our world. Uh, people are constantly chasing us and we're constantly trying to stay ahead of them. But um, we, we always strive to stay in that position, mm -hmm. to, to always be the one that has the next thing. So. We're very proud of our equipment. We don't take any shortcuts. We have a five-year warranty. In our industry, we're the only ones that do that. Most of them are one-year warranty. Uh, we stand behind it. Mm -hmm. uh, we have, depending on the year, we'll have, we'll build three to 4,000 trailers a year. That equates to 15 to 20,000 trailers at one point in time, subject to warranty. And our warranty is minuscule. We have very little warranty whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's uh, we are most expensive. And so that's the drawback when it gets to the marketplace. And right now the economy is down. The volume of buying is down, and when they do buy, they want to buy the best price. So we kind of lose both ways. The volume goes down, and we are the most expensive. So mm -hmm. our market share drops. But when times are good, we have three shifts going. We can't hire enough people. We can't deliver fast enough. We exponentially grow yeah. in the good times. In the good times, yeah. yeah. But we yeah. feel it when it comes down. But the other side of it, too, is we've improved our facilities, added on numerous times over the last five, six years. We've got robotic equipment, lasers, CNC machinery, our shop looks much different than it did five plus years ago. The automation has allowed us to push costs down, allowed us to become more competitive with a higher quality product, which is a, a winning recipe when you can do it. And uh, that's kind of our goal right now in this downturn is to keep pushing efficiencies and, and push getting better. And while we have the slower times, we have opportunities to improve process. We have you know, improved fixturings, jigs, whatever, uh, to make sure that when it turns around, we're in a better position. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what we focus on, and, and we're diversified enough that we're we're doing just fine. Yeah. It's uh, not all ag like it used to be, and we're doing a lot of other things, but mm -hmm. you, you got to be nimble and you got to move with what's going on. And our, our challenge is to be the most efficient we can at all times in the plant. And we, uh, like Vince, we had two major expansions in the last couple of years. We we're right at about 102,000 square, 110,000 square mm -hmm. feet. Uh, along with that, we added a second paint booth, a second complete paint line uh, to keep up with our demand. Like Ben said, we've got a, a laser cutting table. Uh, we're on our second one now, a second new one. Uh, we have three robotic welders and CNC equipment, and uh, we even designed and built our own conveyor for a part of our processes of one of our product For lines. one of our paint lines, yeah. Yeah, one of our paint lines, it goes from, well, go ahead, it goes from, it goes from a welding, welding stations all the way through the final assembly stage, so it always stays on the conveyor until it's complete, basically going over shipping. David's in charge of the plant, so he's the one that drives the, the efficiency side of it and, and pushing the cost down and, okay. and all that. Maybe real quick, have each, starting with David, the year that you joined the family company officially, when we start okay. with that, David? Uh, I started in 2007. I started in the sales department, and then I moved into the manufacturing in 2010 and plant side of it. I guess my official title was a vice president of plant operation. Okay. Ben? Yeah, so I started in August of 2006. I uh, came back and worked in the sales department, inside sales, fielding calls and that stuff, and uh, um, gradually moved through the process and 
believe it was 2012, I became vice president of sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we kind of restructured the way our sales department looks and all that. And so we've got two guys that, that take care of both halves of the company. I, uh, I do mostly, mostly sales and general administration type stuff. So there's two directors of sales. One, we split our company into fertilizer equipment and then ag and commercial equipment. So fertilizer would be like anhydrous ammonia stuff, liquid fertilizer stuff, things of that nature that's uh, put through distributors in certain territories. Usually one to three states is what a territory is. And it's an exclusive deal. So that's the only guy that can sell in that area. Um, that's kind of a dying thing. Everybody's just selling to everybody and we are holding true to our roots. And that's what that's what helps keep us going too, is that, that we have a loyalty on both sides. So we're getting as much as we can out of those, those people. And then on the commercial side, that stuff goes through uh, John Deere case dealers, implement dealers, shortliners, things of that nature. And then the commercial side is, is all over the board. We have some dealers, we have direct sales, we hold state contracts. Jim, tell me about the, the history of, of dual of- I'll, I'll make a very long story short. 1943, my dad was a young man and he was scooping corn off of a wagon and he hurt his back. And the doctor said, lay on a living room floor till your back gets better, you know? And uh, so we thought there should be some way to get that corn off of that wagon without scooping it. So we think he was the first guy to invent the idea of taking cables and, a, and pulleys and a crank and lift a wagon box up off the running gear and let it run at the back end. And he took the box off, put a complete scissors lift type thing in there and put it back on. And he did it in the back of our milk barn. Every milk mm -hmm. barn had a little mechanical area and he did that. And he sold it to a neighbor and a neighbor's neighbor and a neighbor's neighbor's neighbor and that kind of thing. But he, he was a farmer at heart. I remember going to bed as a little kid in the farmhouse. It was pitch black outside, but I could see the well blowing across our farmyard mm -hmm. there in the back of the milk barn where the, the welding uh, flash was going and, and so on. And then, uh, Dad, you should talk about 1946 and how we got our name. Yeah. So in 1946, the uh, wagon lifts were doing pretty decent. And the state of Nebraska came out and said, you know, you're not a farmer. You're a manufacturer. You have to have a name and stuff. Well, okay. Tax know. ID, right? And, oh, yeah. That's why they came out. <laughs> the tax ID. The tax ID. Yeah. And uh, yeah. the story goes that mom and dad are on the kitchen table. And, well, she'll be Columbus Manufacturing or Helbush Manufacturing. Well, well, what should we do? What should we be? And... In 1946, tractors came out with hydraulics. And so dad took off the cables and the pulleys and the crank, put on two hydraulic cylinders. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so my mom says, well, you use two cylinders and you lift it up, why don't you have to call yourself dual lift manufacturing? So that's mm -hmm. how we got our name. Mm -hmm. We don't make any lifts today, of course, but that's how we got our name in the first place. Uh, in 1952, he brought on uh, a irrigation pipe trailer because the irrigation pipe was very happy at the time and very, not happy, very strong at the time. And uh, my sisters and I would sit on the four corners of a hay rack to hold the irrigation pipe on a hay rack and move it around. But we'd fall off and the worst thing is the irrigation pipe got ruined. You know? <laughs> so, so he went in the grove on our farm and kind of started all over and made a pipe trailer. And we were the first people in, uh, in our county to irrigate uh, our crop. And we had a very good crop that year. Well, then the same story. The neighbor bought a pipe here, and the neighbor's neighbor, and so on. But it's all just, I don't want to belittle it, but kind of like a hobby for my dad. And uh, 1969, I graduated from the University of Nebraska. I told my then wife-to-be, which is Connie, that uh, I want to see if I can turn dad's hobby into a business. And I'll give myself three years. And if I can't do it in three years, I'll go back in my degree, which is uh, teaching drafting. And the rest is history. Good Lord has blessed us tremendously. I'm not an engineer by education, but 
I did all our own designing to begin with in the early years. Now we've got five people that are engineering in our engineering department. And we've, as we added on, we added on a conference room and larger office space and engineering department and so on. And so now I'm still heavily involved in design work, but those guys carry the load. I get the easy part. I can mm. tell them what to do and then they have to go do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but we've evolved in that regard. But what really helped us is that as a kid, working on our own farm equipment, I would say, why did that designer put that brace in the way so I got to take that brace off to get off this to fix that? And uh, so we tried to, to design our stuff to make it user-friendly, see if you can, and by the way, don't want to break down in the first place. And so that's where we have our, our roots of being a very high-quality product. So it's been, it's been a fun ride. Uh, we had to elbow our way in the industry. We're the only kids in town, the brand new kid in town with a brand new toy, most expensive, and no track record. Why should I mm. buy from you guys? Well, we had to prove ourselves. And that went through farm equipment shows and just having our equipment prove itself in the field. And it's, there's a, lots of stories about that. I would so, it wasn't until, what, 89 or 88 when we got into fertilizer. 80. 1980. And, and uh, we built a lot of, uh, pipe trailers are our main thing. We built uh, four or 5,000 a year. Uh, we had depots in Stuttgart, Arkansas, and Pocatello, Idaho. And we delivered those depots plus everything in between. It was really good. Well, in the meantime, I would, the Lord has blessed me with designing abilities. And a guy would come on our yard and say, I got to have a trailer to carry that widget over there. Well, I just see the trailer already built. Mm -hmm. Just built it. So that was another, that's kind of how our commercial side got evolved into this farm equipment. So our name got to be known as a very high quality product. 1977, a guy from Wichita came in and said, you guys make really good equipment. Would you want to make ammonia wagons for these uh, for the fertilizer trailer business? I said, I don't have a clue what, what it is. What are you talking mm -hmm. about? I said, well, bring me something. Well, he brought me one that was built in Hereford, Texas, and it was, quite frankly, not very well built. I said, What's, why is this pushing? And he said, well, he said, two or three times every year, someone is killed on the highway because the trailer in some fashion it breaks down it's ammonia tank and there's a bullet going 40 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. And they'll hit an oncoming car, it kills people. And he said, there are so many competitors out there, they've all copied each other so much that they've made them so cheap. We need somebody that builds a high quality product. And so I said, okay. And so I took that unit that he brought me and I got rid of the bad stuff. I enhanced the good stuff and came out that the product was about 25% more expensive in the marketplace than what they were. But this guy in Wichita said he thought he could make it go. And that's how we got in the fertilizer hmm. business in that regard. It was tough at first. What are you talking about? Elbowing your way in. Yeah. In 1980, too. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. 38s to begin tough. with, and you got to ask for 25% more on something. Mm -hmm. Only way to do it was to you buy 10 of my competitor, well, send, buy nine from him, buy one from us, yeah, find 25% more somewhere from one trailer and put them out there. You see which one breaks down, you see which one's still running at the end of the day. It was the product that proved itself, and that's what really gained traction. Would you say that's the defining moment in your history, was getting into one, that? Yeah, yeah well, I think, yeah, getting in the fertilizer trailer business, yeah, that moved us in that direction, and that became our flagship product line, and it still is today, still is our main products that we make. I would say um, that is one of the defining moments. Sure, mm -hmm. it is. It, it took Dula from somewhat of a production and somewhat of a job shop to, to making consistent product with the dealer network and, and, and taking it to the next level. And without that step, we're still a job shop in Little yeah. Oklahoma, Nebraska, doing whatever somebody asks us to do. I've got right. several stories, but I'll just <laughs> tell you one about how do we get where we are. It was in the mid-80s, and we were trying to break into Kansas. We just 
couldn't get in there. There's a couple of big co-ops there. Back in those days, if you had 10 co-ops and one in name, that was big. Now it's 30 or 40 or 50 even. But uh, we couldn't get in there. And I finally got this co-op to buy one for each store. And our color is dark blue. And our competitors are all red. All of them are all red. So we did that. So we go to the Wichita show, Kai and I do, and it was, uh, I think it was 85 or 86. And I'm talking to people. We've got our equipment stack in there. And I'm talking to about four or five potential customers. And this guy comes up, and I turn around. He taps me on the shoulder. He's a huge, seven-foot-tall Texan, big old hat. He said, pardon me, are you the, you know, that makes these... And, uh, and I said, yeah, he wouldn't even let me talk. He said, you know what you did to me? I've got a whole wall full of red parts. Now I have one blue trailer that I'm going to have parts for. And he just went random on. I said, you done? no, I'm not done yet. And he just kept ripping me. These guys were laughing because they knew who this guy yeah. was. You know? And uh, if I tell you his name, you would, that's kind of <laughs> the guy he was. But so anyway, I said, are you done ripping me now? He said, I'm done. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I said, you paid about 25% more than all the red ones, didn't you, from that one? He said, yeah, I did. I said, okay, I'll make you a deal. You, come, you go down to the courthouse, you get a marriage license, and you marry my one blue one or any one of those brand new red ones, and you make him do the same thing all year. Then you come back here at this year, and if, you, if that, that wasn't the best, say, $300 more it cost you, I'll give you your money back, and you can keep the trailer. And you do that? And I said, I sure will. And then we went on the show. So we're at the Des Moines show and the Fargo show because we're trying to build our business. Yeah. And here comes Wichita, and I totally forgot about this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, same story. I'm sitting around talking to a bunch of customers, and this guy taps me on a soldier, and I said, oh, no. <laughs> he said, son, I'm here to say one thing and one thing only. I said, what's that? He said, crow tastes like, <laughs> and you can fill in that last yeah. four-letter word, yep. starts with an S. You know, yeah. And so he became my best advocate. And he was out of, out of Johnson, Kansas, Big Bull, Kansas, down there. And it was, we won that company over that mm -hmm. I sold one each store. They were our best customer for many, many years. And uh, we go to a show two, three years later, and he walked up and he said, Don't listen to a blank and blank thing this young man says. Just buy his stuff because <laughs> it's good and he stands behind it. And that's the best thing you can have. Oh, yeah. You know, I think that that's part of the, the movement. Since we became known in the fertilizer trailer industry that spilled over into other product lines. When we started getting the farm equipment line, the farm equipment deep, well, what? I was going to say, the, the whole reason we got in the farm equipment line was because of our reputation and nothing yeah, else. Yeah. It, was, it was independent reps in Iowa and Nebraska that came, known, known Jim for many, many years, having problems with a certain trailer they were repping for, and strolled into the office one day, asked if, that was before David was back yet, and asked if, if Jim and I could sit down in the conference room and just have a quick chat about something. And that's how our header hauler line was born. You know, it's kind of a commodity, a simple thing, but we, we put our flavor on it. We, we changed it to the way we want to do it and uh, made it a step above everybody else's as far as qualities and options and, and functionality and all those things. And that spearheaded a whole new division of our company. Company That was back in yeah, It started in that summer of 2007. Yeah the, yeah, the farm equipment. So that that's when we started, and that's when we divided the company. At that time, it was just one person doing it all. It was small enough to do that. But mm -hmm. as we grew, that was a whole nother, as a brand of second business. Put us into markets we'd never seen before. I had great timing. I mean, 2007, right. Right, right at the beginning of things that were going to 
And if we knew how good the years were going to be, we would have done even more. What I think was surprising to me is that um, our customer base were the, the fertilizer dealers, the co-ops. And that's kind of an island by themselves. And then the implement dealers is a, is a different way of marketing. But as we grew the farm equipment line, the implement dealers had heard our name. They knew who we were. They had no reason to We're surprised the crap out of us. Yeah. We, I, well, what do you we're write? over fertilizer co-ops stuff over there. Totally different yeah, sector. Think about John, your dealers, mm -hmm. case dealers. Yeah, and oh, we you had guys make that blue stuff that we see everywhere. Like, Co-op's got a hundred of them sitting over there. Mm -hmm. I know who you guys are. That stuff never sits. It's always moving, and that's that's part of what. what that opened, yeah, that opened a lot of doors that we thought we were going to have to open ourselves. Surprised us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when we contracted with independent reps. Yeah. And guess where they came from? FEMA. At that time, it was AMRA. We had two or three really, really good ones. Mm -hmm. Say, okay, now we want to go into Indiana. Who's a good rep in Indiana? Well, they would recommend a guy. We could go. Searching, bird dogging, but yeah. they give you the top three. Give you getting the, vetted and, out, guys. Yeah, yeah, right yeah, so yeah. Once you know yeah. it, they'd be at the FEMA convention, and so we get a chance to sit down, and talk to them face to face, and meet them, and yeah. and the rest is history. Yeah. You know, I mean, this has been a great yeah a plug for FEMA, man. I mean, it's a great resource. Yeah. Yeah. It's Absolutely. growing our business on both the supply side and the sales side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. If I take you back to '69 and your conversation with Connie, who you had not yet married at that point, <laughs> That's right? right? That's right. So you had given yourself a three-year timetable. Mm -hmm. What were those first three years like? And could you have envisioned the boys back in the business and the business of the size and scope that it was in 1969 and to 72? 69, I wasn't even married. How can I have a boys in my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But But no. Something I, tells uh, me you were thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, uh, I graduated in 69, and I was offered a, a job at a junior college in Des Moines, and for $5,900 a year. Now that's right at $600 a month. That was a gazillion dollars back in 1969. A lot of money. My dad said that I was probably the dumbest person on this earth <laughs> to turn that job down and come to do something at home, you know? But it was my passion, I wanted to do it. Those first years were really tough. And you know, Connie, you could ask her. Her friends called her honeymoon widow. I was never home. We had a farm, my dad and my grandpa, uh, we had a family farm, and I would help them farm in the morning, like say from six till eight or 8.30. I go in the shop, which is a 32 by 80 building, and I would which weld- Which is now our main office. Yeah, that's our, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's about half of our main office. <laughs> yeah, right. Then, then I would go home at six o'clock at night, throw it on supper, and go back out and farm then until dark. Did that for four or five, six years, because farming, was putting food on the table. Manufacturing wasn't. Back in those days, dual lift had 50 bucks in checking account, I'd take out five bucks to go buy milk, mm -hmm. you know? And, but I think most people you probably ever interviewed, they all say that same story. They all started on a shoestring and yeah. they all had to start from zero. And uh, it was, those are tough times. But I'll never forget the very first employee I ever hired. His name was, uh, his name was John. And uh, I'm walling away like, like yeah, he had a helmet on my head. And, I looked up and he was gone. Where'd John go? And I looked around the shop, couldn't find him. Went into the restroom, he wasn't back there. Back in those days, we had a cattle yard behind our manufacturing building, so I walked back there as he looked at the cattle, where the heck is he, where'd he go, did he quit? And so I walked in front, here he's sitting in his pickup. And I said, John, what are you doing? This shows my naivety. He saw him on your break. I said, you're on your break, what do you do on your break? Mm -hmm. Have a ham sandwich and my cup of coffee. 
I don't care how long is your break going to last. He said, <laughs> he said 10 to 15 minutes. I said, okay. That's why I go back <laughs> well, here he comes in. You know, I'm embarrassed to say that story, yeah. but it, it's true. Yeah. You know, I, being from the farm, you go 100 miles an hour all day long. You don't, you don't worry about break time and lunch time and the clock. You just do what you got to do. He came from the manufacturing world, so he, he had his time set, which is great. And I, so now we, we have overboard on our benefits. We really do, don't we? Yeah. We, uh, but you got to treat your people right. Not just right. an employee-employee relationship. We really, truly believe that and try to create that culture and that atmosphere. You know, whether you're in the plant or you're in the office, yep. we're all together. We're for the greater good, and we work together. And and so, yeah, we do. We we treat our people very well. Give them benefits that other companies don't. Yeah. The buy-in is very important yeah. to us. Yeah. That yeah. We want them to feel like they're on our team. They want them to feel like they're part of something good, mm -hmm. something in agriculture. So that's kind of how we, we run it. We, we want them to feel part of something greater than just a job. And so we treat them that way. Yeah. Yep. Even the point, like, well, during farm show season, we'll get a bus, we'll take half a shop, go to the farm show. Go see yeah. what our equipment looks like yep. in, a, in an actual setting of how we're going to sell. Yep. yep. Go see the competition. Yep. Go see... Go see what great this world building. is all about. Yeah, yeah it's a great team building, building experience. When we use it as an opportunity to show them that their work matters. Right. You know, what you're doing, people come and look at, and they, they see it. And it's not it's not just going to a farmyard and getting put behind a shed. You know, this is this is equipment that's is marketed as high end. It is high end, and the you know the paint job you put on it matters. That's what people see. The, the weld you lay down that bead, people see that. People Our welders it. look at the welds on the machine. They don't look at they the yeah. paint. Or the mm -hmm. tires look at the welds and they'll yeah. say, look at that crap weld or whatever, and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And the painters look at the runs. They look mm -hmm. at the painting the system. So, and it gives them, like Dave said, a lot more buy-in to that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, of why we are the way we are and why yeah. the quality is the way it is. Why do we, David, preaches and preaches and preaches. Quality, 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 efficiency, and that kind of thing. And this is the reason why. There, there's no one out there with a gun to the head making and buy our stuff. For more money. For more money, mm -hmm. they have to want to come and buy our stuff. And that's a challenge. That really is. We'll get back to the story of dual lift manufacturing in a moment, but I do want to say a word of thanks to Ingersoll Tillage, which supported our time, travel, and production in bringing these stories of family-run farm equipment manufacturers to you. Ingersoll specializes in disc blades and coulters for optimal seabed solutions. For every tillage and planting practice, there's an Ingersoll application for your needs. To learn more about Ingersoll Tillage, visit www.ingersolltillage.com. They are also a title sponsor of the National Strip Till Conference. In fact, they're offering a special rate for podcast listeners for our 2018 event in Iowa City by using the special discount code AGRASOLUTIONS. Now, back to the Hellbushes. So sit back and enjoy part two of the podcast. You guys grew up around the business. You probably can't even separate your life from the yeah. business element. No. Tell us a couple memories about having grown up around this fledgling, you know, upstart business. Yeah, I got one about the farm and I got one about the business. You can probably say the same one. Yeah. The farm, growing up, dad bought us a go-kart as soon as we could walk it. <laughs> <laughs> Taught us how to drag race right out of the yeah. gate. but. We used to tear around the farm and we had more than one close encounter with a tractor or a combine or something on a little go-kart. But you know, you learn a lot out there about- But we were really safe though. Really, really very safe, safe yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you learn a lot about farming and a lot about the industry, the guys that were farming our ground and you know, you ride in the combine with them, you grow up around it. We were 
kind of hybrids. We were city, lived in the city, but had the farm, had the all that stuff. And the roots so, there. Yeah, yeah, roots are certainly out there. I mean, we're we're farm boys without growing up on the farm. Mm-hmm. You know, is the way I'd say it. But and then in the shop, that same go kart, we packed all our own bearings with with buckets or with five gallon or whatever, fifty five gallon drums of grease for years. And there was a little room, and what's now our office, but back then when it was a shop and we were growing up. And our go-kart was stored in that was our garage. Mm-hmm. And every day, I believe they had to haul that dang go-kart out of there. <laughs> so they could do their work. Because yeah. that night, Dave and I were out turning around our go-karts having yeah. a good time. But, uh, we grew up yeah. out there at, at, you know, playing on the equipment. We learned how to weld, uh, put stuff together. I mean, it was some of the best life lessons was being in a facility like that. One, one story about that is, you know, we had the one go-kart. Well, there's two of us. And so we, Dad bought us a second go-kart, but what he bought that time was a kit. And so yeah. we had to put the kit together. We, we had to go put that second go-kart we together. We wanted to drive it, we had to put it together. We, and so he said, here you go, go Figure put it, it together. Out. And he didn't really, he didn't help us at all. And I'll never forget that. There's there's two machines. <laughs> it was right in the center of the shop. We put it together on a Saturday and there's there's two two big old iron workers, big cast, huge, you know, 10 foot tall to Do us. Do I know this story? Yeah, yeah, yeah I know this story. <laughs> 10 foot tall to us. So we're, you know, we get this thing put together. We're all excited it's done. So we start up the engine. All right, let's go. In the center of the shop, you had to go around this this rack for where steel was to be able to get outside the door. So we go while well, the pedal sticks and we turn this way to swerve, hooked up the string backwards and swerved right into that big machine. And we hit that thing and it started rocking back and forth and that was that was pretty scary, yeah. but it was it's a funny story now, you know. Just, yeah. we, At the time we, it was kinda like, right, well, right. everybody's gotta stop for a second. Yeah. <laughs> don't tell that. Yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. 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 <laughs> but we learned and then we learned we hooked the stirring up backwards right. and we fixed yeah. it ourselves and yeah. you know and went out. So that uh, excellent life lesson there of, of how to put something together from, from scratch. Mm-hmm. So this is a blessing in itself and uh, take it. How did growing up in watching your parents launch a business essentially, how did that prepare you for the roles you're in today? <laughs> work ethic mm-hmm. it, just like Jim had said I mean it he was he was around as much as he could be never missed a sporting event never missed anything but there was never any other time either it was work or that mm-hmm. you know family it was always first but work was on its heels very close to second you know <laughs> if you ever wonder where dad was you knew where he was he was out working he was out on the farm he was out in the shop he was yep. whatever in, in the office doing doing paperwork or welding or whatever the case was. Yep. But I, I would say growing up around it, for me anyway, I'm doing probably the same way, it was the work ethic. Yep. And knowing that if you work hard enough and you commit yourself to something, you can make it go. But the, the downfall is a lot of people don't put that 100% commitment in there. Mm-hmm. And without his buying and commitment to, to dual lift, it wouldn't be where it is today, not by a long shot. So I would say the life lesson there is is don't give up and keep at it. No matter what gets thrown at you, I mean, there's plenty of stressful days and things and all of that, but you can persevere if you put your mind to it. That's our attitude in the shop, in the office, running the business. You know, we're not the guys that are, are going to tell somebody else to go do something and then go horse around somewhere doing something else. You know, we're going to, we'll never ask anybody to do anything that we wouldn't do ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's a big key too. And I think we grew up, we got a lot of respect, Dave and I did, because we worked in the shop. Summer's coming back from college and in high school we were, out there alongside the guys and now we're in the office but some of those same guys still work for us the amount of respect we were doing that was was great and not to mention the life lessons that we learned in the process so. you know the neat story about that is i don't know how old you guys were i'd already taught you guys how to weld 
and it was the middle of July, just so yeah. daggone hot. I don't know what you guys are doing. You're working on a farm doing something, and there was this, there was sweat lines and dirt coming down their face. They came in the back of the shop, and they had a, I don't know what it was. There was a part that had been broken, and they had to have something welded. So I got guys that have been there for 20 years. Okay, I'll weld it for you. No, no, no. One of you guys said, I just need your helmet and your gloves. Yeah. What? No, I'll weld it for you. And No, I'll do it. So one of you guys took the helmet, put the gloves on, walled this thing, and left. And these two guys have been there for 20 years. What the heck just happened here? <laughs> so they proved themselves that they're not the boss's kid that wear white shirts and tie and they come into a company. They, the, the older guys that work for us remember that story. And, of course, that gets told over and over and over again. Yeah. And so on Banner Dave, now especially with Dave being plant manager, when he goes out there, they know he knows what he's talking about. Well, yeah, when they can see me go out there and they have this question they don't know the answer, and I go out there and tell them exactly what to do, right then and there, it shows that. We know what's going on. I know how it's put together. I know if there's this issue, you do this or do that, you know, just by growing up in it and, mm -hmm. and now being in the managing role that I am, you know, to, to have that knowledge and then to prove that that knowledge is valuable, that, that buy, they gets that buy-in, you know, it goes back, everything goes back to that buy-in from that. Did you guys know this is what you were going to do with your career early on? I did, yeah. I, I, I just had a feeling in me that, that, yeah, this is what I wanted to do. I, I loved the mechanical stuff. I loved building things. And, yeah, I, I did. I, I wanted to go away and work for a while, and it didn't work out that way. To work somewhere else, get experience elsewhere. I ended up coming right back you. after college. Right, right. right away. Yeah. Yeah. I ended up coming right after college, right after I graduated. But So I didn't get that experience of, of working for somebody else, but, but still I don't regret it at all. I would like to say yes. I, I had doubts in the beginning, and, and not, nothing to do with dual after working with Dad or anything like that. Just kind of wanting to make my own path do my own thing and uh, I have regrets that I probably that I did do that I think but I did get the experience of working with some other people which has helped me and uh, at the end of the day I, I suppose I did always know I'd end up here sometime mm -hmm. just didn't win yeah. I thought maybe I'd go do something else for a while and then end up back but looking back on it wouldn't have not would have done it any other way I've loved every minute of it the stressful times and the times I want to pull my hair out I still take that over not being involved in this you know, the thing about it is working with family, <laughs> there can be some pretty interesting it's, conversations. Yeah. <laughs> Positive I'll say, I'll say things to him I would never say to a boss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I know you would too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, to be a fly on the wall sometimes in some of our conversations probably be pretty funny. But at the end of the day, I would never change it. I know you yeah. neither. I, no. With all the stresses and all the things that come with it, I still, the ability or the, the opportunity, I guess I should say that, to work in a family environment. I mean, some people see their parents at Christmas time. Mess it, you know. They're off in Washington and they're over in Florida. You know, that's that's the way some people are, and and we're a close, close knit family that that I think uh, the big man upstairs had plans because we're all we're all back in yeah. it. So you know, to bring that down to reality, I know when you went to college, being the older, you had the conversation. But Ben <laughs> said, uh, "Is there room for me to do a lift? What should I do at Lou Lift or?" You know, the, the inquisitive question of, should I be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, or a business administration, or what should I do in my life? And I, I said, well, I said, I'll answer that with a question. When you went to bed at night, and I tucked you and gave you a kiss, what did I do? Well, we always had the garage door go up and down, and you went to work. I said, yeah, and I said, what did I do most Saturdays? 
I'll serve a Nebraska football game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he said, well, we always went and worked. In our office, they had little, uh, little bitty cars, little, little battery cars. They played here on the racetrack. They did that. They came to work with me as little kids. I'm working in there, but we're together. Saturday mornings consisted of going to McDonald's and getting the yeah. egg muffin or a cinnamon roll yeah. and eating it at the shop while he works. And we played with those cars. Yep. And then as they grew up, it was a go-kart go scenario. Other stuff, but, yeah. but I said, uh, if you want to do that with your life, then there's room for you at Dual Lift. If you want to do an 8-to-5 job, I'm going to love you with my whole heart, but you need to go work for somebody else because mm -hmm. this is not an 8-to-5 career that we have here. Yep. And so he goes on in business administration, then Dave, two years later, the same thing. Similar, yeah. And uh, when we hire people in, in higher positions, uh, like in the office or management, Connie and I have about a two-hour, very grueling interview. I mean, we're, we're not easy. We're hard. We want to know who the guy is. We want to know how he ties his shoes, you know, because we're going to pay him decent money, really good money, but he's got to be a team player. He's got to be on our team. <laughs> so we put Ben through this two-hour grueling interview, <laughs> offer the job, and guess what he does? No. He turns us down. Really? You're going to do this to me? I'm going to send one back at you. Yeah. <laughs> so so he, he lived in Lincoln for about, what, two years, wasn't it? He went to work for a company in two years, but the neat thing, and you probably tell a story, Darren. Right? You're in it. But he learned in his world how not to treat an employee. It was a startup, and they didn't. I mean, they they didn't know much. I didn't know much. I was green out of college. You know, I was. I wanted. I wanted, like I said, to make my own way. I wanted to be part of something new, and see if I couldn't make it go. I did to a point, you know, and it, we were successful at it. But I learned a lot in that year and a half about employee-employee relationship and and how you treat people or how you want to be treated and, mm -hmm. and those types of things. Not that they were bad guys, it's just the, their style was not what I would do or not what I would like, I guess. So I, I do have that, that valuable experience, but yeah, I did. I told them no. <laughs> anyway, and I did all thing for a while and, and then things change, circumstances change with, with home. And, well, that uh, was a time when our company was growing. We needed, yeah. we needed the help yeah. and, and hire a banner, hire somebody else mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And then when David graduated, he was on the fence, I think, a little bit. Mm -hmm. I had applied had, to several you places. Yeah, you were about to go somewhere else. And, and you had a second interview coming up. Mm -hmm. Then the something fight, happened yeah. in our family, and so he said, you have to come home now. And so he, he forwent, forgo, forwent, and he came right away. And I know sometimes you do regret mm -hmm. that you didn't get that outside exposure. Oh, yeah. And it would have been good for you, but, uh, you know, the Lord's got his plans the way they yeah. work out. I imagine you had these, like most of our family business, everyone I've talked to, there were some touch and go moments oh, where you weren't certain that you were going to come out on the other side in a good place. Mm -hmm. Could you share a couple of those that came along and how you got through them? Well, in four and a half decades, almost every decade at one point has a peak in the valley in agriculture. We all know that. Eight, nine, 10, 12 years is always a, a peak in the valley. Learned a long time ago that when things are good, you better take care of yourself because it will get rough. So that was our plan. We weren't extravagant. We we're very conservative people. But the tough one was in the 80s. When, when the 80s hit, interest rates was 18%. You couldn't sell a piece of equipment. It was just terrible. I would have to say there wouldn't have been for our farming operation. And by that time, I had owned some land and stuff. If I wouldn't have the land for the collateral, I don't know what would have happened. Hmm. Been with the bank, same bank, long time. Everything was good. But you know what? You only do so much. And it was hard. It was tough. People were not buying anything. They couldn't afford to, 18% interest. Mm. It was really a tough time. But it was a struggle, but we made it through. We just, you pinch your pennies and you quit buying paper clips. You gotta do what you gotta do. Mm -hmm. For gosh, eight, nine, 10 months, Connie and I didn't take one dime out of the company whatsoever. 
And on the farming, by that time, um, I got rid of the cattle feeding. I had as many as 600 head of cattle. And in 1980, I got out of the cattle feeding business and went really heavy into manufacturing. But I still had some of the land, and so that land was the assets that I had for collateral. It wouldn't have been for that. I don't know. But it worked out good. But those were tough times. Those were really tough times. Connie worked at that time at the middle school, and we literally lived off of her money, Mm -hmm. off of her wages. Uh, It was tough. And that taught us even a deeper lesson. That uh, Look at four or five years ago. You couldn't ride any higher. And now we're in, in, I hope, at the bottom Mm -hmm. of where we are. And we're financially very, very sound. We're very fortunate on that, but you gotta watch your P's and Q's. When things are good, you gotta be careful because you know they're gonna be bad. Mm-hmm. And we all know some manufacturing friends of ours that are not in business anymore, and that's a shame. But anyway. We're conservative by nature. Yeah. 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 And the last, you know, the, the big times of ag, you know, 12 and 13 in there where everything was going great, we did take the opportunity to improve the plant and the facilities, and, and the reality of it is is that was 10 years too late. And, you know, yeah. We, were, yeah. we were shoving 10 pounds in a two pound bag. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, you were tripping over everything and it was just just crazy. We kind of look back on it thinking, man, we really have to do all that. And, and you look back at it and the answer was definitely yes. That's probably the most lavish spending we've ever done. And it was all, uh, nothing wasteful. I mean, everything was, was planned and, and towards meticulously done. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. put with the greater good in, in mind. And so the good times were good. And, and now that, like Jim said, you know, everything is good. We're a healthy company. Not near as big a company as we were, mm-hmm. but a healthy one. I don't know how many people can say that you know, out loud. I think that that's something to be said for for Jim's leadership and and <laughs> reining us young guys in when it looks really cool if we could get another laser or something yeah. like that. And he's yeah. like, you guys, we don't need it. Cool your jets and we'll get mm-hmm. through this. And, and he taught us some very good lessons in that mm-hmm. big time. You watch yourself in the good times and you watch yourself in the bad times. Yeah. That that part of it shouldn't change. You, know, you make the good decisions for the business and you don't go hog wild. You mm-hmm. don't. You don't go too far one way or the other. You kind of keep everything levelized and in check, and that's that's how you manage the storms that we're in today. Good question for each of you. If you could have one do-over where you went back in time machine and could change a decision or an outcome, of course, what would your do-over be within Duo Lift? If if there was a, a decision either with with regard to the capital spending and expansion or a distribution change or a new product opportunity you didn't jump on or, or did jump on that. <laughs> No, I know one we shouldn't have done. Yeah, don't don't go there. That hole's really deep. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's an unfortunate one. There, you know, there's been some things that we we passed on that maybe we shouldn't have. Some like, yeah, product ideas that we yeah. could have developed and started selling. And yeah. We didn't. Yeah, and we didn't. Yeah, and I guess one do-over would have on the timing side. Timing is everything, as we all know. And we'd been talking about a few products pre-ag boom that um, had we just got off our dead horse and done something, we would have been in a huge, a great position, a huge opportunity would have been staring us right in the face. Mm-hmm. But hindsight's mm-hmm. twenty twenty, yeah. and you, you didn't know. Yeah. But uh, that particular product had, the competitors out there were, were really just making it easy for somebody else to get in. They were making a lot of questionable decisions. They were doing things that just, it was not gonna be a long-term success, and we could all see it. But by the time they had done that and we had found out, it was already too late. Mm-hmm. And the timing had already passed. If we'd have, if we'd have executed two years prior, like we kept talking about, mm-hmm. then then we would have had a whole new market and a whole new product line and a whole new customer and everything. Mm-hmm. But 
Unfortunately, we didn't, you know, and all it does is teach you to look harder at, at things in the future. But, yeah, there, there's definitely one big one. Well, the fact that you're reflecting on it, you're learning something from yeah, it. You're going to recognize absolutely. that, you know, that next opportunity might have been bigger than the original one, right, but your ears right. are open to it. So yep. yeah. yeah, and one thing I would say, too, is if you're going to partner with somebody, you got to make sure that they think like you do. Sometimes there's a great opportunity staring you in the face, but the, the, the people side of it isn't going to work. It ain't going to fit. We've learned that, too. <laughs> There, there's more than just a product and opportunity to sale. It's, it's a full, a full circle thing. That, that definitely teamwork. The mm -hmm. teamwork needs to be there. One thing about having a reputation of building a good product is that people come to you, mm -hmm. and a lot of times we turn them down. Right now we're on a project that, that we can't divulge yet, but a guy came to us. He's got patents on things. Wants to manufacture it for him. It's a great idea, but it didn't work. So we had to redesign it all to make it manufactured. That's an opportunity we're gonna take it. We're gonna manufacture it for him. So that's gonna be another little finger in the dike type mm -hmm. thing that when things come, this will be a perpetual thing. It's yeah. more of a diversification. Uh, we have an R&D department and we are always looking at new stuff, uh, improving stuff and new stuff. And we come up with ideas ourselves and sometimes people come to us. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment, but here's another free podcast from the Lesseter Media staff that you want to be sure to check out. Frank Lesseter here from No-Till Farmer, the original publication in Lesseter Ag Media's history and portfolio. If you're interested in the best of what farmers are doing in soil health, fertility, cover crops, and a variety of seeding and planting innovations, you want to check out our No-Till Farmer podcast. You can search No-Till Farmer on your favorite podcast station to subscribe to this informative twice a month podcast. And now back to Mike and the How We Did It podcast. I was out with a dealer and we went out to a farm yesterday and even did some combine. And it would, the questions that I was getting about this event had me wondering whether all of ag really understands what the short line manufacturing role is. Tell us about short line business and the family element of it. I agree with you. I don't know that farmers or dealers have a true appreciation for it. I'm biased, obviously, but the reality of it is, is we small family owned companies bring a lot to the table that, that a big boy won't, you know? And what I'm talking about is, is working with the customer. It's, it's a family feel and you know, we're all about teamwork, partnership, things like that. One of the philosophies that I push in the sales department is we will always be more than somebody trying to pedal a piece of iron. That is just one part of what we do. So our goal is to partner with you. Our goal is to provide a solution. Our goal is to not shove something down your throat that you're just gonna have to have because that's all we offer. It's let's get together on this and how can we better help your operation? How can we make you more profitable? How can we partner with you to make you better? Because if we're doing that, then they're going to come back to us. And that's what we want. We want that perpetual motion. Not saying that the big guys don't do that. They obviously do. I guess I call it the human element. We're not a calloused corporation. We are we're regular people like everyone else, you know, and we're, we're just out trying to make a buck and, and have fun doing it. And the other side of it on the business part of it, for my eyes, is that short line manufacturers most generally add more to the bottom line as a percentage to a dealership. And the farming practices, we offer a wider range of things that can help the farming practice become more profitable, um, make life easier for them, you know, all those things. I think all of my, I could probably say, speaking for every short line manufacturer that, you know, and, and we have that homegrown feel and we have that, that connection we feel like with a lot of people. The short line industry is something that's never going to go away. 
And I, I think that the people appreciate doing business with people like that. Uh, that's what I see from the sales side of it and where, what I see from the customers and the people I deal with. One, one thing, we have a, a lot faster turnaround yeah. than the majors do. Not that we're adversaries, that's not the point. We can just do things faster mm-hmm. and quicker. And we encourage our salespeople to talk to the end user, talk to the producer. That we make what you what works for you, or if it doesn't, what do you think? We should move this piece over there. Would that make it easier for you? And sometimes we'll listen to them, and sometimes we won't. It's all manufacturing, manufacturability, and, and things like that. But I think the short industry is so much more open to the end user. We're not. There's not a wall between us. We are all on the same team, and like Ben said, we don't want to just push iron. We are developing a relationship mm-hmm. with our customers. We want them to be able to call us for any reason whatsoever. And so, a direct line. Yeah, to expound upon that, I guess, you know, with the innovation, and, and we've always kind of felt that the shortliners are, the, are more innovative than what the majors are because of a simple fact of the corporate world that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. It might take them five years to develop a product that we can do in three months. Yeah. And the majors, and, and majors might not ever say it, but I think they right. acknowledge yeah, yeah. it. They acknowledge well. that that's yeah. what it takes. And so those, those farmers and dealers come to us. I mean, if they went to a major company, it could take three to five years for that product to become available to them to sell. When with us, we could, in some cases, turn around in, in a month, or it could be weeks, or it could be maybe one year versus five years. All those things, you know, I don't think they appreciate that because it's just... They don't think about it. You know, it's, I need this product, so who's going to do it for me? You know, and that's where I think where we play a big part in this industry with, with any facet of, of an agricultural product. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it may be some other company doing the same thing, but we can turn around quickly and we listen. We'll design it to their needs. You know, they came with the idea and we can talk to them and then we go talk to our other key people in our organization yeah. saying, okay, we're, we're thinking about this idea. Do you have any input? But I don't think those major companies will probably do that. They're going to take their engineering staff and they're going to go through and say, this is the idea, let's make it work. You know, and they're going to do it their way. Yeah. And we do it the customer's way. That's where a lot of our new products come from. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got some of our main industry-leading products came from a farmer calling our sales rep, sales rep calling me or David or Jim. Mm-hmm. Hey, what do you guys think if we could do something like this? Yeah. I, think I, could, I think I could help this guy out if we could just, if we could figure out this one way of doing it. Yeah. And then... And boom, two years later, it's a flagship product for it. This is really tough on David being production manager, but the philosophy that I had from the very beginning in the early days is that I found out really quickly with farm equipment shows. And our competition would say, I've got 10 models. Pick one that best fits your needs. Which, which one of our 10 do you want? And I would say, we've got 75 or 100 models. What can we do for you? And that one question might spring a brand new product line for us, mm-hmm. a major product line. We've got tip, similar equipment that's for the carrot field in Arizona and the tobacco fields in Kentucky and the strawberry fields in Michigan and the wheat fields in Canada. And our competition says, oh, this is the work all of them. Well, maybe not. You have to tweak a little bit to make it just yeah. the best of what they want. And that's well, you the, find that competitive edge in the last 10%. Yeah. You know, you're, yeah. you're willing yeah. to do that last little bit different, but that makes all the difference in the world. The industry, yeah, it may not work for Dave because now 
his fixtures aren't going to work. And <laughs> right. yeah, conveyors are everybody. This conveyors already full. Yeah. Yeah. Uh oh, stop the conveyor. Got to yeah. make these three. We gotta you guys know Dave will figure it out. Yeah, yeah. 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 he's going to do it. Yeah. Just send Dave yeah. an email. I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got. I have a personal question for you guys, but I guess before I, I go there, is anything I didn't ask you guys about that? While well, I got you three together, and I'll, I'll go first. I think uh, we pretty much nailed it. There's lots of story about how Revolution started in the '70s and '80s, and we hit some of that. One thing I do want to mention is I've said a couple times about Connie. Connie was always behind the scenes. She worked for uh, the middle school uh, at that time. It's called Junior High, and in '81, when our daughter was born. She uh, quit the high school for maternity leave, and uh, junior high. And at that point in time, well, from from '69 till then, I would come home and I would write the checks at night in my office at home, and I'd write letters and I'd send out purchase orders and do all that stuff at night. And eventually, she would start helping me doing that because as we grew, it was more demanding. Then in 1981, she decided. We decided. We talked about that she would not go back to the school. She would come to do it full time. And so she was at first office people. Hmm. She ran the office, she did that type of stuff because I was doing it myself. Well, now she's got a whole office staff full of people. And so, but she's a, the, 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 the staple one. When I get off track, she said, mm -hmm. now wait a minute, now wait a minute. She's going to write all of us in. Yeah. <laughs> now what are you guys yeah. thinking? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, yeah, that kind of thing. So she's yeah. been there from 81 on and she's been a major part of all this. And so I don't ever forget that because yeah. she does a lot of stuff. We're just happy to have her. There. I think you married pretty well there. I married that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. married that. <laughs> so that's uh, along exactly the same lines what I was going to say. Yeah. The, the reality of it is that uh, I'll speak for you too, sorry. All of our wives deserve a big shout out because yep. they put up with a lot. Mm. You know, us growing up with him always gone, in part, I mean, grew up that way. That's, that was kind of a normal thing. My wife grew up with an age five mom and dad. You know, they were there when they took him to school and they were there to pick him up and they were there for the whole night. And that wasn't us, that was not us. I, we, were, we were so busy as kids, you know, doing whatever we do in events and sports and all that stuff. And like I said, dad was there when he had to be and he was at work all the rest of the time. And that has translated into, into our lives. Mm -hmm. But it goes back to what Jim said at the very beginning that if you're not willing to do that, this isn't the place for you. Yeah. And that's the reality of it. And he wasn't lying. You know, it's what it takes to run a business. It's what it, it's what it takes to grow one. And uh, like I said, our wives put up with a lot. I mean, David gets here at 6 in the morning. He leaves at 6 at night. I go there at 7.38. I leave at 8 at night. If I go back out to work at nights, work on Saturdays, all that stuff. And it, that's something that just needs to be said because they they put up with a lot. Mm -hmm. And then... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. God bless them. They still stay with us. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, gonna, that's what I was going to say too. Yeah. So, yeah. But we're all very committed to the business, and, we're all and your wife's I, your wife's name is Abby, Abby and Lisa. Dave. And we've got two kids, and and Dave's got one. Yeah, that yeah. All, that adds a whole new mix into it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's obviously that's a game changer. Yeah. Wouldn't change a bit of it. And the boy, I have two boys. They both love coming out to the shop. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I'm trying to give them yeah. the experience that I got which is growing up out there. We've, Dave and I still farm the, the, whatever, the 180 acres that's left out of the old farm. And that's our, that's our test ground and our playground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we still do that and the boys uh, love every minute of it. It makes me happy that they can have the same 
type of experiences. That's a perfect segue into that personal question yeah. I was going to ask yeah, you here. You so, and you two, you grew up in a fledgling business. It was tough spots, all that. Connie and Jim passed something down to you that is internalized with you now as part of your DNA. You both have young kids here that you want to make sure that your kids learn that was passed down from grandma and grandpa. I will go back to work ethic. Yep. I, it's it's what it takes whether whether my sons are going to be in this business or not, whether yours are or not, is somewhat insignificant. I, I want my kids to be committed to whatever they want to do, and I would support them wholeheartedly in whatever they want to do. And uh, I hope that someday they do want to come back, and I hope that I get to sit in that chair mm-hmm. and my son gets to sit here. Yeah. Yep. And same for David. Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah, but if it doesn't, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But I would say that I, I want... I want my kids to have passion, and that's, you know, you know him. Yeah. There's a little <laughs> bit of that in there. <laughs> a little bit. It's a little. Yeah. Just a little. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I certainly want that. The work ethic and the passion and the commitment, yep. whatever it is, I just, that's what I hope I can somehow pass on to my little guys. Kind of expound a little bit, you know, a life experience, you know, kind of back to a life experience. You know, when we, when we grew up, we were out on the on the farm, we were out in the manufacturing facility, we were doing all those things as growing up. When I went to college, and I'm sure it's the same for you, a lot of the friends that I made were not farm people, they were from cities, they were, you know, totally different backgrounds, you know, as, as that all works out. Well, those guys would sit there for three or four hours and play video games. I had never, I'd played maybe 10 video games in my whole life mm-hmm. up to college. We never had a gaming system. We never had any of that stuff because we were always mm-hmm. outside. Mm-hmm. We were always doing other things. We were building things. Very we were, we were, you know, doing all that stuff, you know. And, you know, that, that to me made a realization in me is like, wow, I'm really glad I grew up the way I did. But, yeah. you know, looking back, you know, getting into that, to that college side of it and just seeing that and saying, wow, what a waste of time. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, sure, it's enjoyment. Sure, it's, there's some of that level, but... In my head, I was thinking, what a waste of time. I could have... Look at the experiences but, we had. Right, but... We would have been sitting behind a TV, or we were out building a go-kart. Yeah. yeah. And in our world, that's just what gets us going. You know, yeah. our yep. manufacturers, we, we tinker. We like to put stuff together. We like to tear stuff apart. Yep. You know, so sure. I hope that I can pass something similar. I'm sure I can't... Buy video games. Yeah, I'm sure I can't get away <laughs> with that these days. But, you know, hopefully we can... Or I can pass that along to be... You know, there's there's a time for fun and there's a time for other kinds of fun, mm-hmm. which is you know not sitting behind a TV or on your phone or, or on an iPad or on a, a whatever. You know, let's let's go do something other than that. So you I'm know? gonna contradict myself a little bit because the other thing I would like to pass down there needs to be a balance. And I think that's kind of what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. There there is a level of commitment that has to be there, and you have to stay committed. But you can't forget to just relax for a minute and have some fun. And yeah. It, and in these downtimes, it, it kind of reminds you of that because stress levels are high. You're doing everything you can to, to keep going and, and keep keep you in the black and all those things. And you can kind of forget that there's more to life than just working. That's a very good point. It takes a level of commitment, but you've got to have a balance. Absolutely. And, and if you don't, you'll burn out. You, yeah. you, won't, you won't last. You know, and I learned that from him because I feel like your commitment level is a little hard. Well, our, our family vacations... Yeah. We're FEMA meetings. FEMA, yeah. FEMA summer board meeting. Mm-hmm. And uh, Connie and myself going to the FEMA meeting. And they stay in the grandma and grandpa. That's the only vacation we've taken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> summer board meeting. Right. That's, that's Not much of a vacation for the boys in the Abbey. Yeah. You know, when you, when you didn't have anybody supporting you behind you, mm-hmm. 
financially anything else. You had to do what you had to do mm-hmm. when you had to do it. And that doesn't mean an eight to five. It, you got to do when it's necessary. Yep. And I couldn't justify going to Disneyland or whatever. We just mm-hmm. didn't do it. You guys never went on vacation. We just didn't do it. Then mm-hmm. that's bad on me. I mean, that, that's my fault. And they're learning that. And, and that's a good thing. Ben's right. You got to get recharged. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it turned out all right. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> look what you built and yeah. look what you've instilled in us. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to that, to that point, and, and honestly, it taught us too that, you know, maybe there is a time for, for a little more play than well, what sure we're used to. Yeah. And you know, that's yeah. the, the neat part about being a small company, owning your own company. When, when these kids are growing up, I have the opportunity to make decisions. And I, I love sports. So do they. So they both played football, basketball, and baseball. Club basketball, minor league baseball, that kind of stuff, and midget football. Who was the coach? I was a coach at four o'clock in the afternoon. I could stop my business world and yeah. go be coach. Mm-hmm. And give 100% of my energy to coaching fundamentals in football, basketball, and baseball. That's where I learned I could say whatever I wanted to my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear but, what you just said? Yeah. But the point is, after practice, I could go back to work and finish what I didn't get yeah. done that day. So, but, uh, so it, it's a balance of men's dead on right. Wouldn't ever well, we enjoy what we do, do it differently. No, yeah. so yeah. It's so. not all work to us either. Mm-hmm. We do enjoy it, even with all the stresses and stuff. So that's, yeah. that's another component that makes it hard to remember you need to go take a vacation. You need to just go recharge for a weekend. You gotta yeah. go do some fun. Yeah. Yeah. Let me go to the football games together too. Yeah. 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 When they used to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're in Madison next We're year. We're rebuilding. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's what I was. That's what I was after. Yeah. Good. You know, this was, this that was fun. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate, appreciate that. that. It's fun to sit and talk about this stuff because we don't. You don't. You yeah. live in it yeah. and you don't reflect on it. We really. have time you know, for it. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you live in the moment. You rock and yeah. roll, and yeah. kind of reminds you what you've done and what you need to do. Thanks to Jim, Ben, and Dave for the story, and also to Ingersoll Tillage for supporting this series as well as the National Strip Tillage Conference. Check them out at www. IngersollTillage.com. And a quick shout out to the studio talent here at Lesseter Media, Jeff Lazeski and Joe Kinsley. And thanks for joining me for today's sit down with Dual Lift Manufacturing Company. Till next time, I'm Mike Lesseter of Farm Equipment and No-Till Farmer, signing out on How We Did It, Conversations with Ag Equipment's Entrepreneurs.